The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, no, no, no. I want to. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Ready? Ready. Let's go. What's up, Lightweights? Today's guest is Forrest Galante. He is a world-renowned wildlife biologist, TV show host, and fellow podcaster of the Wild Times podcast. You! He's hosting shows on Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, History Channel, guested on Joe Rogan, and blew up from his appearance on Naked and Afraid. True story. That's that's crazy. You're just lucky I'm wearing pants today. <laughs> I mean, take them off. I don't care. <laughs> uh, recently, you posted a video of you swimming with a hammerhead shark. Yeah, from uh, El Nino 2015. Yeah, so you find a shark in the water, throw out the fish that you just caught and jump in. Well, not only that, but it's a shark that was out of its natural range by like 500 miles. So this was at the Northern Channel Islands right out here uh, in front of my house in Santa Barbara. And uh, to see a hammerhead cruising around the Northern Channel Islands is like utterly bizarre. Just not something that happens regularly. And that was a freak phenomenon because it was during the El Nino and so we had to play with it. So, yeah, we fed it. A, we were cleaning our fish. We had a bunch of yellowtail that we caught that day. We were cleaning them, and all of a sudden there was a shark circling the boat. And I was like, we got to get in. We got to go check it out. But he was pretty fired up and trying to eat us. <laughs> Is um, You have the – what world record do you have? In spearfishing? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how many are current, but at one point in time I held six. That's crazy. Yeah. And you go down there and just try and catch the fish? Yeah. So I held six uh, free dive spearfishing world records for a pole spear. And a pole spear, some people know it as a Hawaiian sling. It's basically like a stick with a rubber band on the end. end. So it's not like the gun. It's literally like a hand spear. Um, and uh, yeah, at one point in time, I had white sea bass, yellowtail, cabrilla, humphead, uh, speckled flounder, and Malabar Grouper, six different spearfishing world records. How do you just figure out that you're good at that? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's like any sort of niche sport. You uh, commit a lot of time to it, and you learn about the community, and then you get competitive. And, you know, it's the same as, like, being in motocross or being in wrestling. or uh, Those are probably bigger sports than spearfishing. But, you know, it's a little community of people that are very on the top end. And I started when I was young. I started spearfishing when I was 14. I started doing like competitive spearfishing when I was like 18. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I was pretty freaking gung ho. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of your shows. Extinct or Alive. Yep. Incredible. You've rediscovered eight animals that were believed to be extinct. That's what they say. <laughs> You've rediscovered the Zanzibar leopard. Yep. Rio Apoporus caiman. Yep. And the Fernandina Island tortoise. Yep. The tortoise was believed to be extinct since 1906. 114 years before we found her. What made you think that that was still even around? Well, so I'm a wildlife biologist for anybody that doesn't know, and I specialize in critically endangered edge of extinction species. And so I have this massive database, 1,600 plus animals, species, 
that are lost, lost to science, haven't been seen in a long time. And of that database of 1600, when you dig into it, what you realize is oftentimes it was some like stuffy British dude in a sport coat in an office that wrote that the animal was extinct after a short and not very well thought out expedition to try and find the animal. And then once an animal is written off as extinct, it loses all funding. People don't pay any attention to it. And that all goes away. And we started this a long time ago. We started this in like 2015-ish, something like that. And uh, when we started it, I was like a tinfoil hat guy. People were like, you're insane. These animals are gone forever. And I was like, well, I don't think so. Now it's like a whole field of study since, since we did what we did. Like it's become a whole thing where whole big companies are trying to outcompete with what we've done and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. I think that's great because the more people that do it, the better for the species. But to answer your question... We had all this data and I always thought like the system's broken. Like I don't, it's a big world. There's a lot of places to hide. And so we put together all of this research and data, years of planning, and then launched various expeditions to try and find some of these animals. Always kind of thinking it's about the journey and not the destination. We'll probably never find any. We'll just see how it goes. And then, yeah, at the end of season one, we found a big one, which was the Zanzibar leopard. And then in season two of Extinct or Alive, and then various shark weeks, we found seven more. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it took a lot. Like, it's not something you're just like, I'm going to go look for this thing. It's a lot of research, a lot of phone calls, a lot of data, sometimes scouting trips ahead of time, um, you know, years of preparation, months of planning, and then weeks in the field. I mean, I listened to your book. You go into the entire story of how you got the show. Yeah. You got the pilot, and then you ended up get- getting picked up for the eight episodes? 10 episodes? Uh, first one was eight. First eight season episodes. was eight, yeah. How do you pitch to Animal Planet that you want to try and find these animals that just are missing? Well, first of all, Animal Planet's like dunzo now, right? There's nothing new on Animal Planet. There hasn't been for a while. But at that point in time, Animal Planet was still the gold standard for, you know, that's Steve, home of Steve Irwin, the home of Jeremy Wade, like these huge, huge names in, in wildlife media. And so what happened to me is, as you pointed out, I was on Naked and Afraid, and I did Naked and Afraid. And like everybody who does Naked and Afraid, you get your five milliseconds of fame. And during those five milliseconds of fame, people would call me and be like, tell me about your time on Naked and Afraid. Tell me what it's like to be in the jungle naked. And I was like, mm, no thanks. And they're like, what do you mean no thanks? I was like, I'm a biologist. Like, I can tell you about the wildlife that I saw in Naked and Afraid. I can tell you about the hammerhead that I ran into at the California Channel Islands or this or that. And most of them would be like, no thanks, click. But every now and then, one of the press junkets or people would go, okay, sure. Tell us about the hammerhead and we'll see if we can spin that into something to do with your Naked and Afraid TV show. And then I tell them the story of the hammerhead or I'd give them that clip that you saw on YouTube. And all of a sudden that would be viral and have a billion views on the Daily Mail or something. And so all this other stuff blew up and between Naked and Afraid and now these viral wildlife things that I had done just as a kid with a GoPro because I thought they were cool. I now had, um, these random producers reaching out to me and going, Hey, do you want to do a TV show? Do you want to like, here's a pitch deck, dude, they'd send me the most terrible things. They send me these like animal dating shows where you're like, Oh, you have to act like a peacock, and, <laughs> you know, run around and you can be the host. And I was like, fuck off. I'm not doing any of this. Sorry. I don't mean to swear on your pod, but no, you're good. I was like, I'm not doing any of that. And so I saw like six or eight of these TV shows, like pitch decks, like, you know what a pitch deck is a presentation to a network. And I was like, these are garbage. I was like, I can do something better than this. Um, you know, and there's a lot more behind the scenes. I quit my job. I spent three years on my wife's part-time teacher salary. There's a lot more to the story. But I basically just saw 
how bad other shitty producers TV shows were. And I was like, I can be a shitty producer. And so I wrote my own TV show linked with a guy that I met who was really smart, had never sold a TV show before either, but a really clever guy, had been in the industry a little while, loved animals, and the co-host of my podcast, Patrick DeLuca. And uh, together we came up with Extinctor Alive. It was really his idea, but we put it all together and packaged it and shopped it around and eventually found a production company partner. And then with that production company, took it to a network. And you took it to all the networks, took it to Nat Geo, Discovery, History, uh, Curiosity Stream, all of them. Were any of the other ones interested? No. Hard no's across the board, except for Animal Planet, who gave us like a very soft maybe. And then after like six more months of patiently pestering them, finally got a yes, let's go do a pilot. And then I was like, holy shit, I just sold a TV show that I'm on. And uh, that was the start of it all. And you have the same camera crew throughout the entire thing? Uh, I've had two, basically two people from day one. Everybody else, like, as you can imagine. So when we sold a TV show, the first thing you do is hire a bunch of like LA TV people, right? As everyone does. These guys don't hold up to what we do. You know, we spend, you read the book, like sometimes months intense and I mean, a lot you guys of sickness, are getting stung by wasps wasps on the dick stings you know you name it so a lot of guys dropped out pretty early and a lot of guys were not cut out for it but over time over the course of the first like season of my show the first show i ever did i settled in on a crew of guys literally by episode four mark romanoff uh romanoff was one of them yeah I, I met him when i did an episode of shark week two years ago oh there you go yeah romanoff was a part of it uh he's actually on to doing other things now but jq brantley uh, Mitchell Long, who's my right-hand man, Johnny Harrington, and the squad who we put together, who are now literally like I, I've done every single show with them for the last ten years. Which, I mean, you find the animal, you get the funding. Where does the funding come from, and what do you do with the funding? So our, I, I'm just the the gun for hire, right? So we're the find the animal guy, or I'm the find the animal guy, and the funding comes from the network. So when you know when most people sell a TV show, Shark Week, doesn't matter what it is. The production company just makes all the money and then goes and like uses the money that the network funds gives them to make the production. We have a whole different business model. So I started a company called Fantasticus Pictures and our production model is when we get funding from a network, whatever it is, we use that funding instead of just to make ourselves wealthy to pay for uh, concert necessary conservation work in exchange for filming rights and access. So in other words, what happens is Whereas most production companies goes, cool, you gave us, I'm making all this up, it's arbitrary numbers, $200,000 to go make an episode of The Housewives, right? It actually costs them like 20 grand to make an episode of The Housewives. I'm making all these numbers up because they're just filming in a fucking hair salon in LA. Well, when I sell an episode for $200,000, $150,000 of that goes to the expedition, it goes to donations to the scientists, it goes to ongoing conservation efforts, it goes to... Uh, vehicles that are needed or tranquilizing darts or uh, scientific tools, whatever it is, we pay for all the conservation work and then say, hey, can we actually come along and film it and be a part of it? So we don't make a lot of money, <laughs> but we have a lot of fun doing it. When you go do these expeditions, how much are you just shelling out to the locals to try and get you to where you need to go to find out where that watering hole is? Uh, a lot. You know, 
I, it's not like you just show up with pockets full of cash because you'd be bled dry in a, in a heartbeat. But, you know, like I said, we spend months pre-producing these. It's not like your typical, you know, reality show. Like months and months and months go into our pre-production process. So, you know, we're finding in-country fixers, locals. We're paying them. They're then finding the hunters or the villagers or whatever it is that have seen the animal. You know, they're paying them to go out and track it or look for it or get gather intel from other communities. You know, so everybody gets the money gets paid out to everybody that's involved, obviously, like any business. And uh, by the time we get there, you know, we have a small pocket full of cash that we end up always leaving behind somewhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. So because you found the the leopard. Yeah. And you were so protective on it that no one can say that you guys found it because you were worried about poachers. Right. In the early. Yeah, exactly. Like we had to be very careful about how we disseminated that information because it's such a small area. Right. So how do you protect it once you leave and once the episode comes out? Well, and like I said, that's why I'm the gun for hire. So early on in my career, what I thought is we'll try and manage these ongoing conservation of these species. That's incredibly unrealistic. So instead, we're always partnering with local groups, organizations, sometimes on camera, a lot of times off camera. And then when we get this data, this information, camera trap information, fur, DNA, poop, whatever it is, we then hand it over to the local authorities and local conservation groups and go, here's all the info. You know, I'm glad we were able to contribute. Please try and protect it. And then we walk away, you know, like we certainly not handing it over to hunters, but we're, <laughs> we're handing it over to the people that we think or and don't think we vetted and know have the best ability to manage it. Does secure does finding that leopard secure season two in your mind? In our mind, it did. I remember the first thing because I was like, I don't know if you've ever seen the clip. I'm like crying and jumping around, freaking out and stuff. Freaking out. Yeah. And a uh, kid on Christmas Day. Yeah. Oh, I was insane. I headbutted my sound guy. I mean, I went nuts. And <laughs> the first thing that Mitchell Long, my right hand man, says to me is, Congrats on season two. And that's all he's thinking about because he's a TV guy. He loves animals and everything, but he's a TV guy. And like, I wasn't even in the top 500 thoughts of mine. You know, it was like, I didn't even cross my mind. But. He was right. I'm sure it was that find and the fact that that was all over the news everywhere worldwide that allowed us to get a second season. How much does the camera crew slow you down? Because I feel like you're, you've been this way since you were a kid. Yeah, I'm a nut. Um, in the beginning, the camera crew slowed me down a lot because I didn't understand how to operate with a camera crew. Where, you know, especially when it was those early days of LA guys who like, couldn't keep up with me through the jungle and some of them I mean I remember our first director of photography I won't say his name but he was like 58 years old and I was like 26 years old 28 years old at the time so I'm going full send you know the whole time and I look back and the camera guy's gone like every time like all right we're gonna hike up to the top of that mountain for a lookout and he's like what I'm like yeah it should take us about two hours to get to the top so that we can have a good vantage point he's like I I'm not I can't do that and so like in the beginning it slowed me down a shit ton but then I got this crew, like I mentioned now, we fight and bicker like married people, but at the same time, none of us would ever even dream of not working with each other. Like we couldn't be closer group of friends. I mean, I've been the best man at two of their weddings and filmed one of their marriage. I mean, the whole thing, like godfather to one of their kids, like we're like this, you know, and it's all the same in our little circle. And um, they don't slow me down at all. In fact, if anything, we all it's like being on a sports team. It's like being on a rugby team. I play rugby. It's like you hype each other up. Like if I'm down, if I'm beaten, I've got sunstroke or beat up from, you know, some stomach infection from eating God knows what in Madagascar or whatever. Mitch is there. He's lifting me up. He's like, come on, man, you can do this. We got this today. And then Johnny's like hitting me on the back. He's like, I know you want to find that snake. Let's go. Yeah. You know, so we hype each other up. So now 
I'd say they're the opposite of slowing me down. They they keep me they help keep me going. And same for them when they're down and beat, which happens to all of us. Yeah, you mentioned a stomach infection, the wasp stings. You've been bitten by sharks. You tranked a lion that woke up. <laughs> yeah. What's been the most dangerous animal encounter that you've had? That was a cop out, but I always say it when people ask me. The most dangerous encounter is always people. It's always humans. It's poachers with guns. We got chased out of Mozambique by government. We were literally like some kind of Nick Cage movie. Like our plane was taking off from the runway as these guys with AK-47s in the back of the truck were chasing us down the runway. Were they shooting at you? No, they weren't, but they were going to. <laughs> um, we could see them driving driving in as we took off, you know, and like... What goes through your mind during that? Uh, dude, we've had so many. I mean, you've read the book now, like in Myanmar, when we nearly went to jail in Myanmar and stuff. For the drones? For the drones, yeah. Like, it's just... it's Yeah, guys, they, it's illegal to bring a drone into the country, so Forrest's idea is to deassemble the drone and bring it in. Smuggle it in. Smuggle yeah, it in. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell anybody. I only wrote a book on it. Um, <laughs> but, Can uh, you go back there now? No. God, no. No. Can't go back to Myanmar. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, I was a young producer. I got to gotta get the shot. So we needed a drone. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what's going through my mind? Most of the time, you know, things have changed. Like I got a family now. I haven't had any. My wife was pregnant during our last very close call. I didn't actually have my son yet, which was the one in Mozambique where they're chasing us down the runway. Um, government, government guns. But um you know, what's going through my mind, the reason I bring up that my wife is pregnant and now I have a son is now it would probably be like, fuck, am I going to get home to my family? Can I take care of my son and all of that? Back then, and I think this is just a comment on how I was raised, being in the safari business and being in Africa, it was just like, how do I make sure the crew gets through this? So multiple times, like in Myanmar as well, I'll always put myself first. So when I say put myself first, I don't mean like try and get out first. I go, I'm the one who goes and talks to the cops. I'm the one that goes and tries to be the first line of defense while the crew gets out of there. So I look at, and I think the team would agree, like I look at myself as the team leader. And so I always, the highs are the highest for me and the lows are the lowest for me. So when we are in those low positions, I'm the one standing there haggling, negotiating, trying to keep us out of prison, trying to make sure that nobody gets shot, whatever it is, while the crew is like, and everybody knows their role at this point. The crew's either packing the gear or trying to get shit hidden or whatever it happens to be. I'm the, I'm the face of the whole fucking operation. Right. Your new special, Alien Sharks, on Shark Week. Yeah, just smashed. Came out. Smashed. Did Killed? really well. Killed it. You're the only face on that entire when i was looking on the app i know it's crazy huh there's just a big fucking mug of me and then everything All else like is hair sharks. messed up from the wetsuit you look cool like, i look in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking we could pull one of the best autographs in the game but guess what with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one now when i buy slab packs on arena club it finally feels like i know what i'm getting what i love is the display of the available cards the hit rates and the grading arena is a marketplace for card collecting buying trading selling displaying and with arena club slab packs they're revolutionizing the repack game with transparency after your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent.
transparent with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash lightweights. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, go to arenaclub.com slash lightweights for 10% off your first purchase. This episode is sponsored by Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning platform available on desktop or as an app, and that it truly immersifies you in the language that you want to learn. Maybe you have an upcoming international trip or you want to connect with a family or a friend. I know a lot of people who want to learn a new language just to pick up a new hobby. I can personally attest to this as I used Rosetta Stone when I went to Italy for my honeymoon. It helped me brush up on the Italian that I learned back in school and I was able to get through the land and speak the native language. It made it so much more fun, plus my wife loved it. They're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish. There's no English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language. Plus, there's lifetime membership and access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off a steal. Don't put off that language learning. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Lightweight's podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language learning courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. It's the Joe Guarantee. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Sheveled as fuck, but kind of cool at the same time. Yeah. That's sick. <laughs> yeah. How involved are you in the, the editing of the show and making sure the story is told correctly? I uh, 110%. It's my production company that does it all. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Last time we talked might have been before all this, but about four or five years ago, I started a production company, um, Fantascus Pictures, and that every show that I've made since then has been 100% my production. So, I conceptualize it, I pitch it, I sell the shows, I pre-produce them, uh, you know, show run them myself. I don't have a producer in the field anymore. It's just me. And I show run and produce everything, direct the cameras, everything, and then come home and do the edits and deliverables. Oh, wow. Yeah. So all the storytelling is me. How many productions are you working on for the future now? Oh, fuck a lot. Yeah. Uh, Can you share what you want to? Yeah. Um, I have a sh- How do I say this without getting in trouble? Um, I have four different things at Discovery Channel. One thing at History Channel. Um, two things on streamers. I can't say who. Um, these are all in the works. All in the works. Yeah, all all in development or or actually post. You know, not just development. Development usually means you're pitching it. These are a next the step above that. Okay. Um, and then uh, and then you know we we launched a YouTube channel earlier this year. Like, what's it called? It's just my name, Forrest Galante. But that's actually a lot of fun for me. You know, every YouTube star in the world wants to become a TV star, and I'm a TV star who's chasing being a YouTube star now. Um, and I don't really care about being a YouTube star, but the thing I'm the most excited about is not doing a whole bunch more productions that I've been doing for the last 10 years. It's actually doing this whole YouTube model, which is all new to me. It means I don't have a boss. 
I don't have to sell a show to discovery to get funded. Like we fund it up front and then hopefully people watch it enough. So it's really reinvigorated. It's like this idea of doing YouTube content and whatever shows I want to do at still our super high production quality is really fun. So that's actually the thing I'm the most excited about at the moment. Yeah. I mean, you've amassed a million followers on TikTok, and last time we talked two years ago, I don't think you had near that, right? I don't think I had a TikTok. I think TikTok's only been around for about a year. Right. Well, it's been yeah. around for a while, but I don't... No, my TikTok. Right. Yours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your animal stuff is blowing up on there. It is. Yeah. It's done really well. And a lot of that is attributed to this awesome kid that I have. He's, I shouldn't call him a kid, but he's like 22 years old, goes to UCSB, phenomenal young talent editor. His name's Tommy. Um, and he's just been editing all of that content for me. You know, I curate the posts and everything, but I like throw him all this raw footage and I'm like, Hey, here's me with a snake. Can you do something cool with it? And he sends me back this like gangster rap, like cool fucking doo -doo -doo -doo. And I'm like, this is cool. Yeah, like, you had cool songs in your yeah, videos. I know. <laughs> How, I get messages all the time. How does somebody reach out to you at your level to try and work with you like that? Mostly Instagram. You know, I the the only social media platform that I look at regularly is Instagram. The thing is, I could tell you, and if anybody's listening to this, this is a good bit of advice for you. If I see a message, because I get a lot of messages, right? If I see a message on social media, my website, whatever, that goes, you'll probably never read this, or I doubt you'll take this seriously, I, do, I don't even read the rest. I delete it immediately. If it, And that's like the self-pitying shit that everybody seems to do. I'm sure you've seen it. They reach out and go, you'll probably never even see this, but, and then they write a whole message. I don't even make it past the but. I just delete immediately. Yeah. I fucking hate that attitude. Instead, like... Uh, Haley Martin's a good example. She works with me. Uh, I should really say for me, but I, she works with me. She's a very, very smart young lady. She probably messaged me a hundred times between Instagram and my website before I responded. And then I was like, you know, and that's not a comment on me being, you know, super self-important or big dick. It's just, I get a lot of messages. So she kept messaging, kept messaging, had this persistence. And instead of just saying, Hey, I want to work for you. She'd write me a message and go, Hey, here's this incredibly cool thing that I know you'll like, and I'm working on this and I've done this research. And what do you think of this? She'd write all these messages. And finally, one day I saw her message and I realized there was 96 other messages behind it that I'd never looked at. And I read her first, her latest message and was like, Whoa, this is really cool. This chick's like, what was she doing at the time? Like working at this aquarium on these weird sharks and doing this really rad stuff. And she wants to do media on it. And then I read back, read her 95th message and then her 94th message. I ended up reading all of them and wrote back to her. I was like, Haley, this is awesome. Like you've been doing all this research and figuring all this stuff out. And you've asked for a job, you know, 96 times come work for me. She's like, you're kidding. I was like, no, she's like, that's unbelievable. I can't believe you even read my messages. And I was like, yeah, come work for me. And she's been working with us for like three years. So, you know, like it's just uh, like, I don't want to encourage people to send a million messages, but just being persistent and passionate and not that sort of typical like generational thing that, you know, our generation has of like expecting a handout. Like, hey, I want to work with you. What do I have to do? Like, I'm never going to respond to that. But hey, I'd love to work for you. I'll work for free. I'll grind my butt off for forever. You know, you don't even have to pay me. Here's a bunch of research. Here's a bunch of proof that I can do it. You know, like I'm a great editor. I'm a great shooter. I'm fantastically passionate about finding animals, whatever it is. I, I read all that and go, yeah, this person actually has something. Yeah. Don't give people a, a reason to say no or exactly. an idea to even say exactly, no. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you have a new show, Shark vs. Snake. Yeah. That was Thursday night, last Thursday night on, um, uh, on Shark Week as well. I did two Shark Weeks this year. Okay. I wasn't sure if that was a show or a special. No, special. Shark Week special. Okay. And uh, how'd that one do? 
really good as well. Like my alien sharks was like, like way up there. This was still number one of the night and everything else, but, um, uh, really good, you know? And I think people just like our shows cause they're so different. My crew's always involved. We're, we're self deprecate deprecating, uh, to, uh, to a ridiculous level. Cause I'm always making fun of the crew on camera. We wear like silly wetsuits. Uh, we take what we do very seriously, but we do it with a lot of humor and enjoyment. We make fun of each other. We make fun of the crew. There's probably eight shots in shark versus snake of the crew making fun of me and being like, this guy's an idiot. And at the same time, I'm catching one of the world's most venomous snakes, pushing tiger sharks off, you know? So we're doing really cool stuff, but most shark week is like this week, the man eating killer, great white. And we're like, fucking stupid like yeah sharks are dangerous not if you're not an idiot and here's how we do it and we think it's fun you know and i think that's really uh resonated with people because our shows are a big staple across shark week you know like every single year they come to us wanting to do more and more and uh people really like them like the the feedback's always incredibly positive people like the humor behind it like we just Take our job seriously, but with a high dose of fun. What's the aftermath of Shark Week for you? Are you getting recognized a lot more from those specials? I just got to reset the cameras, but we can keep talking. No, you're good. Do you want me to wait? No, 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 you're good. Uh, no, I would say absolutely not. I mean, people who tune into Shark Week have probably been watching Shark Week for 20 plus years. Uh, I get recognized the most from being like on Joe Rogan, uh, my podcast. People love our podcast. It's grown, grown really fast. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know where the repercussions of Shark Week are just like, oh, I think I've seen you, you know, like maybe one out of five people that recognize me when I'm in a grocery store or something go, did, did, I just saw your Shark Week thing, you know, as opposed to four out of five who are like, dude, I love your Joe Rogans or man, I listen to the Wild Times podcast. It's such a good time. Like most people seem to be more interested in. Well, I think, first of all, young people are the ones that walk up to you to talk to you, not older people and the young people that recognize me or you whoever is are more from the internet than from tv nowadays right so i mean you i know you're trying to break into the internet more on your youtube channel yeah are you filming specifically for it yeah oh yeah so we just finished we just wrapped our first five days of filming for it ever are you tackling it like a regular show yeah 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 that's so cool so we can't obviously allocate the same budgets to it because you know a shark week show costs a lot of money you can imagine you know we've got 50 plus people working for it and a bunch of boats insurance and crazy underwater cameras so we can't allocate the same amount of resources to it but we're still treating it in a very similar manner it's still very high end it's all shot on red cameras uh it's all pre-produced properly like we're treating it like the real deal and yeah we just wrapped our first uh, four days of filming for it. I've got another six days coming up in Florida in two weeks. What are you doing there? I can't tell you. Oh, gotta tune on. in. No, I can tell you. Uh, <laughs> no, we're doing a bunch of cool stuff. So first of all, I'm going to this thing called Animal Con, which we're not filming for YouTube, but because I'm already going to Florida to public speak and, and live broadcast from Animal Con, which is a big animal convention. Um, really cool, by the way. Uh, after that, I've extended the trip five more days, and each day we're doing a different YouTube video. Uh, one of them, my buddy Billy Hawthorne, is like the leading turtle biologist in Silver Springs, which is this incredible clear river system where nobody's actually allowed to go in that part of the river where he is. But because he's the turtle biologist there, he has boats and access to the whole thing. So we're going to spend a day making a friendly competition between him and I who can catch and tag the most turtles. Who do you think is going to be? Oh, I'm going to smoke him, dude. Really? I taught Billy. Billy, if you're listening to this, I taught Billy everything he knows, okay? He's like this young, he's a hotshot, don't get me wrong. <laughs> 
I got him on his first big fish spear fishing. He lived in the Connecticut. Billy, you're you're in big trouble, bud. I'm gonna send this to you. Um, no, I'm gonna smoke him, but he's he's probably gonna win because he does it like every day. But um, yeah. So you know, we're gonna do stuff like that. It's like fun, fun videos, super outgoing, all adventure and wildlife based, of course. And, you know, like that's like a fun competition, but with real purpose, like where actually they need this data as many turtles as they can catch and tag and count. They have to do. And we're going to turn that into a really cool YouTube video. So it's things like that. Oh, that's going to be so fun. Yeah, it'll be a blast. In your book, Still Alive, you're constantly in new ecosystems. I know you said that you do months and months of prep work. Yeah. But you obviously can't prepare for everything. Oh, of course not. So how do you, I don't how do you really make sure that you're actually prepared because i feel like when you're out there you start seeing all these other things that you didn't see coming a lot of it is just experiential so once you've done two two expeditions into the amazon you kind of understand what the amazon's like and so is it unlike anything else the amazon yeah yeah it's incredible i could live in like paul rosley i don't know if you know who he is yeah, um, yeah yeah good buddy uh he like lives in the heart of the peruvian amazon like in a tribe like with a tribe in a village and uh like i could if i didn't have a family i could totally do that you know just like oh, the amazon's incredible but um you know so a lot of experiential whether you've been in the amazon or the arctic or whatever you're like okay i know what to expect i've been in i've camped in a deep tropical jungle from canoe for six weeks before i know what to expect but or you know i've been to the arctic before i know what antarctica is gonna i know what the cold's like so a lot of it's just experiential over time and you start to learn little things like, oh, man, we can't go without hand warmers. Like, oh, dude, you like a cotton shirt? Forget about it. It's fucking stinks. It's sweaty. It's gross. You got to have, you know, lightweight sun gear. You know, things like that. It's just experiential. But um, that being said, we so we spend months pre-producing, like we said, and we have this whole like, you know, 35 step plan where you do this followed by that and that goes to there and then we try and shoot this scene and we go look over here for this animal and if that doesn't work we go over here usually i'd say by hour two that's in the dumpster like yeah. it doesn't matter how many times we do it we always have a plan going into it but like you land you know you're in Colombia, whatever and it's like plane's not here like what do you mean the plane's not here like you know according to our plans like we have to land by 5 p.m tonight because there's fark rebels and if we're out there after dark the rebels can come in they can steal all your camera gear and they can murder you and blah blah it's like yeah plane's not here like what do you mean the plane's not here they're like we don't know where the plane is it might be here tonight it might be here tomorrow they're like take the plan throw it in the trash can fuck it whenever the plane shows up we go you know <laughs> and like that's just how it works like on these types of expeditions like it doesn't matter how much you've done you always try and plan for the most pack as light as you can but as efficiently as you can um, and make sure that you have everything, but it's usually plans go out the window early and then you fly by the seat of your pants. What's the toughest ecosystem for you to film in? Uh, for me, it's no, for, no water's easy for me. It's cold. Yeah. I hate, I filmed this thing, uh, up in Alaska. It's coming out on our YouTube, uh, this week actually called how to survive in prehistoric America. It's really cool. Um, and we spent like five days filming in Alaska in November, like Northern Alaska, I'm dead, dude. I'm dead. Like it's what is it? It's 85 out right now. I'm wearing jeans. Like I need. I like. I don't like cold. Yeah. yeah. I don't like, dude. For me, like all the and, and more power to those people that go snow camping and you know do Arctic expeditions and stuff. There is no such thing as too hot for me, but it's like below 65 is too cold for me. <laughs> you mentioned prehistoric. Yeah. Let's talk woolly mammoths. Let's go. What are we doing? 
Well, we being colossal biosciences, you know, of which I'm involved are doing some incredible things. They're bringing the woolly mammoth back. So I talked about that on Rogan and, um, you know, I talk about it a lot on my shows. Uh, colossal biosciences is an incredibly innovative, uh, forward thinking company that's doing for lack of a better term, disruptive conservation. You know, they are taking the models that we've had for millions of thousands, hundreds of years, not, not millions or thousands, hundreds of years of conservation and flipping them on their head and going, here's a radical approach to fix ecosystems. And one of those is by putting woolly mammoths back in the Arctic tundra, which can and will effectively fix and massively slow down the melting of the permafrost. Um, and I can explain how, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's radical. And because this is such a well-funded, unbelievable organization, if you go to their offices and things, it's, they're doing it. Like they're going to be woolly mammoths walking around in the next 10 years. And they're putting them on an island? Not an island. Um, right now, things have shifted due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict because originally it was up in Siberia, the testing areas. But it's all very well thought out. So I'm I'm on the board of conservation advisors. So I'm one of a number of people that advise on what do we actually do with the mammoths when we have them. You know, what do we do with? Them? Well, that's it. So eat them. Uh huh. <laughs> eat them. Eat them. Maybe one day, but not yet. No. So you know, it's all going to be very well thought out and clearly managed. So going to have a big area, containment area, up in their nat natural habitat. There's a place called Pleistocene Park where they've been simulating what mammoths will do to environment by adding other large animal like steppy bison and things like that, and then knocking down trees, which is what mammoths do with bulldozers. So, you know, seeing what it does to shape the environment. And then what we're going to do is take a different chunk of land, probably in Alaska, um, and put mammoths in that chunk of land, fully contained, you know, big fences, everything else and monitor it, see how it goes, see if we can expand that, like see if ultimately we can release them into the wild. You know, it's a very, none of this happens quick. Like we're talking about very thoroughly studied, slow progression, um, but it's the way that you have to do it. What do you think of when you first hear this? Like when they came up to you and had this idea, did you believe it? Uh, I thought of Theranos. That's what I thought of. When I first heard, I'll be, a, you know, remember Theranos, right? No. Oh, Theranos is a big uh, like tech company uh that was basically just all smoke and mirrors they like cheated their investors out of millions of dollars and uh the whole world thought they were going to like change the world and this is not a comment on colossal this is a comment on my skepticism when i first heard oh there's this company called colossal that's bringing back extinct animals and the mammoth's only one of a handful of going to be many actually what are the others uh the ones that are publicly announced that i can talk about are the woolly mammoth the thylacine and the dodo right now um, and I'll tell you this, you're going to want to keep an eye out at the end of this year. Cause there's something big coming. Really? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. physically big. Okay. I have to keep an eye out. Bigger than a woolly mammoth. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. T-Rex. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so when I first heard like what Colossal's doing, I called bullshit. I was like, there's no way. And then I went to Colossal, you know, in, uh, Dallas, Texas. I met the CEO. I toured the facility. I spoke to the geneticists and the engineers and the biologists. I saw the cell work. I Jurassic saw the embryos. Park. I was like, holy shit, this is a real deal. And I'm fully bought in. Like, I couldn't be more bought in. Like, I'm on the board of advisors. I'm visiting the office. I was texting the CEO this morning on my drive up here uh, to talk to him about steps for the thing where I've said is coming later this year. I mean, it's, it's happening. Is there going to be tourism allowed? 
uh, it'll have to be an element of it, right? You know, like you can already go and tour the labs, I think. I'm not really sure if it's open to the public, but you can go and see some of the stuff. But there's no world in which you create woolly mammoths, dodo, thylacine, and these other animals that people aren't going to want to see them. So there will be some form of tourism around it. It's not going to be priority number one, but there's going to certainly be a form of tourism around it. Are all of these animals going to be in the same facility or will they all have their own? No, they'll all have their own. Yeah, they'll all have their own. I mean, you can't keep a woolly mammoth with a thylacine, you know, like one's from a deciduous forest, the other's from an Arctic tundra. Uh, dodos from a tropical island you know like <laughs> tropical island bird and giant snow elephant don't go well together so um yeah no they're going to be housed completely separately uh there's land in mauritius for the dodo there's area in alaska for the mammoth there's land in australia for the thylacine it's all it's all being very very well thought out and you know executed to the highest standard and how do they fund the project where do they get the money from uh that's not a question for me really that's a question for the ceo but they're you know they're they're are they publicly traded or not yet? I'm not actually sure, but they're a big company. You know, they've brought in, I think they have an over billion dollar valuation now and they've only been around like less than a year or so. Uh, they've they've managed to bring in a lot of investors, a lot of investment, and that's, that's leading the charge. Would you say this is one of the biggest advances in technology for biology? No, I would say this is the biggest advancement for wildlife science in human history. Fact. That's big, man. <laughs> it is. It's really big. You know, like it, this is if this goes well, which I believe it will or I wouldn't be in so supportive of it. If and when this goes well, it will change human history. It will right humanity's wrongs. We will be able to bring back animals that we have selfishly, intentionally or unintentionally driven to extinction to repair ecosystems. Mammoths single-handedly can offset something like 6 trillion tons of carbon emissions. You know, don't quote me on that number. You can look it up on their website, but it's massive amounts of carbon emissions by keeping the permafrost on the ground longer so that the, the carbon doesn't escape into the atmosphere. I mean, we can basically save the planet. That's very, very, very like grandiose, but we can basically save the planet by fixing these ecosystems with the species we've taken out. What would you want to bring back? A lot of things. I mean, a anything that we have unjustly killed off, right? You know, like uh, Javan tiger or Balinese tiger. That's just a subspecies of cat of these, you know, tigers from Indonesia that deserve to be in those environments. But selfishly, humans have killed them off for their fur or whatever else. The dodo is a perfect example, right? Everybody, everybody alive today that has access to books on the Internet knows what a dodo bird is. Except no one alive today has ever seen one. They were extinct long before our lifetime. We ran those birds to extinction for fun. We didn't even eat them. When sailors first settled on Mauritius, they'd walk around with a stick and club them on the head as a thing to do because they were bored. You know, like that animal does not deserve to be eradicated from the planet because we as human beings were so greedy and selfish that we wanted to bop them on the head and kill them just for entertainment value. So, you know bringing any species that has a, a a story like that that led to its ultimate extinction deserves to be brought back right that's crazy yeah it's really uh, crazy <laughs> i was so excited for this announcement <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a big deal okay what would you say is the gnarliest nature is metal moment that you've seen oh this is a good one um the what's crazy is i've seen some stuff you know i saw a kid get shredded by a crocodile like i've seen some stuff but one of probably the coolest thing 
One of the coolest marine interactions I've ever seen or wildlife interactions I've ever seen. I was just telling the story to the guys I was fishing with yesterday. These guys, the pelagic guys. And, uh, yeah, it's dope. Good looking hat. I love it. Um, I was just telling the story of these guys yesterday in 2020, I was kelp. I was diving under a kelp patty offshore, which is like a free floating piece of kelp and fish like to hang out under them. I've got my big spear gun. I'm hunting for tuna in Santa Barbara, uh, off the coast of San Diego. San yeah. Diego. Near to the Tanner bank. So like, like 70 miles out, like pretty far middle of nowhere, just blue water. And, uh, I see this kelp patty floating, jump in with my gun and I've got a smaller gun, not my big tuna gun because uh, I'm looking for Dorado, which are like mahi mahi and I jump in. There's like, 10 Dorado swimming around, but they're all small and they're, they're ones that we've already shot a couple big ones. So I'm like, ah, I'm not going to shoot it. I look down and below me straight down, like just, just crystal blue water is this little football yellowfin tuna swimming around like crazy. I'm like, Oh fuck yeah, a little tuna. So I swim down to shoot this, this yellowfin or try and shoot it. And this tuna sees me turns and comes shooting at me full speed. And I like pull my gun up, like what the fuck's going on? And literally like me to you, as I'm raising the gun, the striped Marlin comes out of nowhere. Bam. He spears this tuna right in front of me. Like tuna's wobbling on the end of his spear. And then literally I'm I'm aimed at the striped Marlin. Like my spear is this far off of killing the striped Marlin. I don't shoot Marlin, but some guys do. It's no, it's just not my thing. And I'm aimed this far off the Marlin and the Marlin backs out and then just eats the tuna slowly swimming away. And I've just watched like, Two of the top, I'm a big fish nerd, right? Look at the shirt. But two of the top apex fish in the ocean, yellowfin tuna and striped marlin, interact. One kill the other right in front of me. Like, literally, I could almost touch the marlin. He was so close. Not a care in the world. Marlin was all lit up, colors flashing. You know, he looked like uh, like this guy right here, like fully striped up, bill out. Everything was unbelievable. Um, and it was pretty metal. Like, there's blood everywhere. And, you know, it was pretty crazy. And then literally, like, two hours later, I shot my big tuna, like a 200 pounder tuner tuna. And as I was reeling it in, this Mako was shredding this live sea lion right beside me, like pieces of sea lion going everywhere. Sea lions are like, ar, ar, like going crazy. And I'm fighting this tuna. I'm like, fuck, this is sketchy. Like, yeah, it was crazy. So that day just had a lot going on. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Would a Marlin ever go for you? Unlikely. There's a couple like instances, uh, I've seen where, hooked marlin will charge the boat and have actually landed in the boat i've seen that before yeah, not, yeah. not personally but on the internet yeah it impaled somebody once too yeah and then there was a case in hawaii uh i think there's a video online i have to look but there's a case in hawaii where a guy jumped in the water and shot a swordfish and swordfish are notoriously aggressive and this shot the swordfish with a spear gun swordfish turned around and fucking got him i don't i think it killed him but definitely straight through like skewered him big time yeah um they're super aggressive animals and uh yeah, so it could happen. I mean, one of the reasons I don't want to shoot them, bigger reason is I don't want to kill billfish. But, yeah, no, they're uh, they're crazy animals. When you hit the fish, do they die immediately? Do you oh, aim God for no. their head? God, no. I mean, yeah, you aim for their head or their spine, but they don't die immediately. You very rarely hit what they call a kill shot or a stone shot. Uh, usually you just hit them in the flesh somewhere, and then you fight them for an hour or so before you get in the boat. And you're not, you're completely free in the water, no? Yeah, yeah, you're fighting it on a line. You're just pulling it back and forth? Yeah, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of different systems, but typically, like, you fighting a big tuna. you Oh, you wrestle them, yeah. Fighting a big tuna, you have, like, floats and a bungee, and then you're pulling the bungee up, and the tuna's going nuts, and you try and get it in and bear hug it and get it in the boat, and it's all going crazy, and it's it's pretty – it's a rodeo. How much meat do you have in your fridge right now, in your freezer? It's pretty sad, dude. To, yesterday was my fourth tuna trip this season with no tuna, so don't – nobody listen to me. I'm not a good spearfisherman anymore. <laughs> but – uh you know, I, I had a really good trip to Mexico earlier this year where I got a bunch of yellowtail and 
there's probably close to 100 pounds in my freezer right now, which for me is very, very low. Like, to be clear, I'm not promoting people go out and kill 100 pounds of animal. 99.5% of the protein that we eat at my house uh, is from fish that I catch. So we try and be as sustainable as we can at my, at my house. And we'll eat, you know, if I go, if I, if a buddy brings over a pizza, I'm not going to say no. Or if we go out and have a burger, great. But at home, if we're eating protein, it's typically fish that I've caught. So when the seasons are good, I stockpile it. I vacuum seal it, treat it all beautifully. Ikejime the fish, so it's all sushi quality. Yeah, the tuna you gave us last time was the best fish I ever had. See? There you go. Soy sauce? Yeah. Incredible. Amazing, right? And so, yeah, that's that's the that's the protein that we eat at my house. So I, I respect the catch a lot. That's crazy. When when you're sifting through the footage, you find the leopard. Yeah. <laughs> We're back to that. I've forgotten we even talked about that. Well, yeah. I w- because... I mean, I'm an editor, so I know how meticulous you have to be with watching the footage. Yeah. I mean, what if you just skipped over that memory card? Well, that that's that. That's it. That's the end of it. I've, I've had that thought many, many times in my career. But, you know, in, in the show, when we find that leopard, uh, it's funny because the cameras are off. And uh, look, you have to understand that we put out dozens and dozens of trail cameras each one of those cameras gets thousands of hours of clip footage, you know, like 30 or 90 second clips. And so to review every single clip sitting, you know, with the cameras rolling would be insane, especially back then. You know, this was this was like eight years ago already today. Like you can rewrite cards and stuff. But back then it was like, that's a lot of media. And then you have to media manage it and blah, blah, blah. So to review every single trail camera clip on camera on a third party camera would take you know, hours. It's an insane thing to even think you do. Instead, what you do is you go through it all. Or now what we do is you have a producer go through it all or a cameraman, and then they build a folder. And then you like are like time to review the trail cameras. And you look through the clips that have stuff and then you can identify it or get excited or whatever. Um, But this is a long way of saying what happened there was I was just we pulled six of our cameras, not a lot of them. I was on like camera number three. We we're in the back of the bus back to the hotel for the first night in like five nights. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to get to the hotel. Didn't want to basically do my homework when I got in. So I was like, I'll just, it was like an hour and a half bus ride. I was like, I'll just start looking at clips. You know, I was sitting in the back of the bus with my laptop open. First card, like four dead clips, nothing like leaves blowing in the wind. I, I don't know if this is how it went, but second card, like one or two clips of a little civet or something. And then third card, it was like the second clip. And I was just like, ah. You know, and I, and I freaked out like I we've talked about that, but I like I watched it back like probably five times and like was like, am I dreaming? Like I literally like had to check myself and I looked, my hands were like doing this and I was like, watch it back one more time. I hadn't said a thing. Nobody's even looking at me right They're Like on the bus chatting on the way back to the hotel. And I kept watching it, kept watching it, like pinched myself, looked around, like licked the fucking window. I'm like, does this window taste? Am I dreaming? I was like, holy shit, this is real. And then I just erupted yeah yeah i have some fan questions and then you're good dude what do you think of the jellyfish that lives forever yeah the uh, immortal jellyfish it's cool i mean the way that works so that people understand is it's not one animal that lives forever it's a community of microorganisms that are constantly breeding and regenerating that form one super organism what does that mean so basically an immortal jellyfish is a giant lump of cells think about that everything everything is but in, when we die, all of our cells die in our body forever. Instead, imagine if your cells were constantly regenerating. So this isn't the best analogy. What's a better analogy? So an immortal jellyfish is a group of animals 
that are all stuck together to form one super animal, like uh, Transformers, okay? Yeah. Except all of those little animals that when they die, another one regener another one takes its place. So the super organism never dies. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a better analogy than our cells because when we die, our cells die, our cells do regenerate. That was a terrible analogy. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts on drop bears in Australia? Koalas? Yeah. Drop bears? Um, they're uh, adorably cute to look at. They're vicious mongrels to deal with. Um, a lot of people don't know that, but if you like try and catch a koala or pull a koala off a telephone pole for a rescue or something, it'll rip you to shreds. Yeah, no, that, but I mean- Do you ever handle them? I have handled them, yeah, not wild ones. I've only handled like uh, ones that are in domesticate or not domestication, but in zoos and things like that. But I have friends who do wildlife rescue in Australia, and they're like, "Give me a wombat, give me a kangaroo, give me a brown snake or a taipan, like any of the venomous, deadly stuff, a saltwater crocodile. Don't give me a koala. <laughs> you pull a koala off a telephone pole, and it's gonna rip you to shreds." Oh my god! Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's they don't look like it though. They look like you just want to snuggle them the whole time. So cuddly. Yeah, <laughs> that's nuts. There's two types of orcas out there: the ones that eat the fish and stingrays, and then there's ones that eat the sea mammals. Yeah, there's actually a lot more nowadays. There's transient and resident and offshore, and there's like a lot of subgroups. But yeah, that's a pretty good overall. I mean, depiction. how do you know which is which? Is it just based yeah. on where they live? You uh, don't. You don't really. You don't really. I mean, you know. I've jumped in the water with mammal-eating orcas a couple times, and uh, you just you assume they're mammal-eating because they're hanging out around a sea lion rookery or you know whatever, and uh, you 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 don't. You never know. You never really really know. Do you get scared when you're in there with orcas? You yeah. Uh, the very first time I did an orca dive, I would say I was scared. Yeah, like the very first time I was down in Baja with my buddy Mike Nolte. And we found this pot of orcas, huge bull, like big six foot tall dorsal fin and all of his girls around him and a couple babies. And Mike goes, we got to get in. And I was like, yeah, we got to get in. So we, we raced the you boat. You guys are nuts. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so we raced the boat up ahead of the orca pod and the orcas play with the boat and stuff. You know, the way dolphins ride, bow, bow ride and stuff. And so we race our ponga up ahead of the orcas and jump in the water and it's green, murky water. You know, it's deep, it's deep, deep offshore, but green, murky water. And it's just so much adrenaline. You're so excited to see the animals. You don't really think of the repercussions. And uh, it, basically what we told the boat to do is drop us in the path of the orcas. And if they approach us, great. If they don't, great. Because we don't want to harass them. Like we're not chasing them, which people do, but you're not allowed to. We're like, we're just going to get in the water. And if the orcas want to come to us, they come to us. They approach us on their terms. And if they don't, they don't. So we jump off the boat, swim opposite direction. So we're not together being more menacing and all of a sudden i'm like sitting in the water the boat's like 500 yards away it's not close my buddy mike's like 100 yards away and uh i'm in this green murky water and i i can't see anything and i look up and approaching me from another 100 yards away is this orca this giant bull with the six foot dorsal fin and all his cows around him and i'm like holy shit what am i doing like i'm out here in the middle of the sea by myself no boat support no buddy next to me no knife or spear gun or anything like that to see if these animals that are known mammal-eating animals, the wolves of the sea, want to check me out or not. And I don't have a camera or anything. It's just for my own, it's for my own enjoyment. And uh, yeah, and so like I had that moment of like, oh, fuck. Like, what am I, what can you do? You can't panic. You can't scream. You can't call the boat. I can't tell Mike I'm a sissy about it. So I'm just like, let's see what fucking happens. You put your face in the water. 
30 seconds later, orcas swim up, look at you, do a circle and cruise away. And then my heart went from being up here to down here. And I was like, okay, they're not going to eat me. Let's try it again. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. The same day or a different day? Or what do you mean? Oh, I've it done it a handful of times now. I mean, the same day we had probably six or eight interactions where the orcas approached us um, because they were just milling around this one area. Uh and then, yeah, I've done it done it a couple times since, so you just never really know. Would you get in one in an aquarium? I mean, I probably. You know, I know people do. Uh, that's So I, a lot of people don't know this, but the only orca fatalities in history have come from aquariums. They've, an orca has never killed somebody in the wild ever. So that's a little peace of mind, but you certainly don't want to be the first. But what's interesting about being in the water with an orca, whether you're in an aquarium or an ocean or anything... It's the only animal I've ever, ever, ever been around where I feel like I have zero control. If I'm around elephants, body language, certain things can make them charge or stop charging or, you know, they, they might decide to take you on or not take you on. If you're around a shark, you get aggressive, you swim at the shark, shark turns away most of the time. Orcas, ain't nothing you can do. No body language, no anything. Like, you are a ragdoll to them. Like, if they want to play with you, they're going to play with you. When I want to eat you, they're going to eat you. And you can feel that. You can feel like you have zero control in that situation. Even with great whites, you're not... Yeah, they're fine. I mean, look, there's situations, right? Like, you don't go get in the water next to a seal colony when it's 10 foot of visibility with a great white but you jump in clear water with a great white in hawaii or guadalupe island or something you have a lot of control (laughs) (laughs) but yeah sorry back to your question would i do it in a tank yeah if i met with an orca trainer or whatever and i don't condone keeping orcas in captivity but if i met with somebody and that that's not the question and they were like oh do you want to jump in with lalu the orca here i'd be like is Lalu good with boys? Like, is it fine with men? Cause like a lot of animals, you know, some cats like guys and some cats like girls and dogs and everything, or cause they're the same. And if that trainer was like, yeah, they, they love random men. Like you're fine to jump in with Lalu. I'd be like, yeah, let's go. You know, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> what animal are you looking forward to encountering next that you've never encountered with? Polar bears. Yeah. Would you do that without a cage? Oh yeah. 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 No, I want to go up to, uh, up to uh jesus what's that town manitoba up to manitoba and and walk with polar bears i've still it's such like it's funny because all of my animals are always like weird small obscure ones this is a big iconic one literally like the coca-cola mascot and i've never seen one never seen a polar bear in the wild never walked with one never been close to them and i'd say that's probably the next next unfortunately it's in that shitty cold that i hate so much but that's the next one on the list for me how involved is your wife with this planning and what does she think of it Oh, she's busy. We got kids now, dude. She's doing her thing. <laughs> she doesn't know. No, I mean, like, you know, we have these things that happen. Like, I have the story on my podcast I told where literally what I was just doing, and I don't know if that was subconscious or not, I was rubbing my eyes, and I think I put snake venom in my eyes. Have you seen that little bite? You told me this uh, last yeah. time, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I thought I'd killed myself by rubbing snake venom in my eyes. And, you know, that's my own mistake. Nobody else's. And I told my wife that story when I got home in hindsight. And she's like, you're such a fucking idiot. Um, but you know, there's nothing that, you know, she's like, be careful when you're dealing with the, the sea snakes or whatever, whatever. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I will be, I will be. But then you, you can never plan for something stupid like that. So, you know, my wife just like trusts me to make good choices, which is her mistake. (laughs) Those sea snakes are swimming so fast under there. Some of them. Yeah. How do you handle that? Yeah, like the, you know, the olive sea snakes are slow and docile and stuff. But then like the elegant sea snakes, which we were catching is like, they're like underwater mambas. They're just like, and what's crazy with dealing with them is, uh, and this is all new to me. I'm no expert. I've only caught sea snakes twice now, but this one big trip. And uh, 
they're just like they're in such a three-dimensionality of space they can go forward they can go backward they can go up they can go down when you're dealing with a snake on land i don't care if it's a cobra a taipan a rattlesnake whatever you have gravity on your side so if you get the tail you know you know the head's not going to go above you or whatever because there's gravity on your side when you're in the water it's just full three-dimensionality. Like, snake can go backwards, forwards, up, down, left, right, side, side, tilt, yawn, whatever. And you can't move that fast either. No, no, you can't move like that thing can move. It's evolved for the water. It's got a paddle-shaped tail and a narrow head, and it's evolved for that environment. And you're just this big, clunky, awkward thing with dive gear on. So, yeah, it's pretty It's pretty scary, man. <laughs> How long can you hold your breath for? Not long anymore. You know, when I used to compete in the free diving and stuff, I, I had a static breath hold of about five minutes, so I could sit still underwater without moving for about five minutes holding my breath i'm pretty fat and old these days i could probably do like three minutes now (laughs) (laughs) uh okay cool so what can we expect on your youtube channel oh dude thanks for asking yeah i mean i think it's gonna be a lot of fun you know look it's not me if it's not wildlife content right so it's all wildlife adventures it's like that youtube thing i or uh, the turtle thing that i outlined it's stuff with purpose stuff with cause it's a lot of behind the scenes people are always that's one of the reasons i wrote the book people are always asking what it's like behind the scenes what it's like traveling with your crew what's it like with your family there's a lot of that i have a shit ton of pets at my house as you probably remember so there's a lot, there's some stuff on that coming out where uh, we tour around. I show everybody all the animals that we've saved and rescued over the years. Um, you know, it's just like a, it's like a much more relaxed and fun insight to my everyday life. I love when you do, when you have the camera on you and you're just vlogging it. Oh, thanks, man. I think that's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, it's cool. I mean, I watch a lot of your stuff. You do, you do a really good job of that. And it's just a, it's a unique thing that I think viewers are smarter these days, you know, and I'm not saying like my viewers were dumb before, but people want honesty and authenticity. And you get that when you're just talking to someone through a camera, you're like, Hey, let me show what my life's like. It's like when a chick does a makeup tutorials and she's like, Hey, I'm actually really ugly before I do all of this crap to make me look good. And then you're like, wow, she looks great. But you're like, you appreciate so much that that girl was so honest to show you what she looks like before makeup. Right. And I'm, I'm being a little overly like mean here, but you know, it's like, she's so honest about it. And I think that's so much fun with YouTube versus TV where it's like, there's no honesty really like do a great documentary or tell a great story, but you're only ever seeing the polished shiny moments that have been beautifully edited and scored and made to be entertaining. You don't get the raw, like, okay, well we just caught the snake or whatever. Here's how the crew feels. And they're all sleeping on the floor of the boat because they're exhausted from the adrenaline. Like you don't show that on TV, you know, you just show the snake catch. So it's fun to have the YouTube as an option to get better insight to that everyday life. I really want to see you go through the woolly mammoth. Um, it's coming at the lab. It's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. I'll do a, I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of stuff with colossal like media stuff. So they're really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I, their message is not broadly out there enough yet. Their messaging is it's very, very well understood in the scientific community, but your average person doesn't know how important what they're doing is and the implications of it and what's going to happen in the timeline and you know showing a lab tour what does it look like to see the embryo of a mammoth or the dna of an of an indian elephant turning into woolly mammoth dna you know and uh so one of the things that i'm talking to them a lot about is pushing that narrative and being able to share that with the world so the world can get as excited about it as i am yeah you're killing it with it <laughs> we'll see well if you ever need a shitty cameraman on your next safari any day dude I'm any down. day yeah i'll take you any day <laughs> okay cool you squeeze me in today this is the last thing yeah i want to give you that whole box of hex clad oh shut up dude yeah yeah, yeah. no hey. get out of here. here what are you doing 
Dude, get out of here. Are you kidding me? The knife set is yours. Dude, you're ridiculous. So just if you're watching this lightweights, I walked in here and said, dude, I saw your post. I'm going to go buy a set of these pans because mine are trash. You don't want to give me these. Are you kidding me? They're all yours. Take the whole thing. Dude, this is the nicest. I'm, I'm going to kiss you when we're done airing. I won't do it on air, but I'll do it. I'll kiss you right on the mouth. No, this is awesome, dude. Thank you so much. What an incredible gift. Thank yeah. you. Uh, wow. Hexclad is the best pots and pans, the best knives. I use them every day for literally for everything. So nonstick. Um, the knives, it has the sharpener too. Yeah. So wait, I got to give a plug to your Hexclad crew here, okay? Just Hexclad. Just Rihanna. Like, yeah, <laughs> Rihanna, is that her name? Yeah. Listen, Rihanna, jo I saw Joe's media where he was like frying eggs that wouldn't stick and stuff. And I was like, I got to get these because we have like garbage Macy's pots and pans that are look like shit now. And I literally told Joe when I walked in here this morning, like, dude, I've, I I saw the box of Hexclad and I told him, I was like, I think I'm going to buy a set of those because of your dope social media. And now you're just giving me this whole freaking ridiculous set. I want you to send me some pictures of you frying up tuna. Dude, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to fry some tuna. Don't you worry about that. No, this is awesome. Thank you very much. That's yeah, of course. really, really cool. Cool. <laughs> Guys, go check out Forrest's YouTube channel. It's going to be linked down below. Go listen to the Wild Times podcast. It's going to be linked down below. Thanks for coming. Dude, anytime, bro. I'll see you later. Thanks, man. Thanks. Lightweights, out. Cool. Sweet. Thank you. You happy? Yeah, that was great. Good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.